Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. Come grab a seat if you want to open up to Isaiah chapter 9. Open up your Bibles or iPhones or however uh, you read scripture these days. Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, one, one more announcement, actually two. I, I had like one job to announce snack sign up and I forgot. Uh, but then I went back there and it looks like everyone signed up for snacks through the end of the year. Uh, but that's great. Um, if you, if you want to even sign up, start signing up for January, wonderful. Uh, the, the second thing I, I wanted to announce, because um, this kind of affects everybody, is that on Christmas, Christmas is on a Sunday this year. And so we're going to have our Christmas Eve service at the park, Candles and Carols, and then we're not going to come back in the morning for, for our Sunday service. Um, and so we uh, didn't want to make uh, the school open everything up, and we've kind of talked with them about it. Um, and so we figured with Christmas Eve, with us being a church plant, we're going to meet Christmas Eve, Saturday night, and then no service Sunday. Um, we've gone uh, with a couple of our partner churches to put together a video that we'd love for you to share Sunday morning. And so we have, we have something for you and your family for Sunday morning, uh, but we will not be gathering here um, this year. So just wanted to, to let you know kind of that's what's going on schedule-wise. But uh, back to Isaiah chapter 9. As we get ready for Christmas, uh, this is the first Sunday in Advent. And Advent is a time where we prepare our hearts uh, for Christ coming into the world. And I want to open up uh, the Advent season with a passage that's in Isaiah. Uh, and it's, it's interesting that the, the scripture I'm about to read is actually read uh, during the Christmas season quite often. It's a, it's a Christmas scripture. But it's written in the Old Testament. In fact, the words are written uh, probably some 600 years before the birth of Jesus, before the birth of Christ. And so as we read it, we, we read this, this man named Isaiah who's he's anticipating a Savior, this divine Savior to come and to break into the world. And so it's, it's prophetic in a way. It's a future hope. It's, it's this desire that, that God is going to intervene. And as he writes these words, it's, as, we, as we read uh, about the life of Jesus, it's amazing how much these words resonate with the character of Christ and who, who Jesus was. And the words are so on point in describing Jesus, even, even though it was so far uh, before the time of Christ, that, that some scholars call Isaiah the fifth gospel. Because they say it's, it's just amazing how he's describing who uh, this anticipated Savior is going to be. The church father, St. Jerome, this, this man who translated uh, original, the original text of, of Hebrew and Greek documents into Latin called the Vulgate, he said this about Isaiah. He said, he should be called an evangelist rather than a prophet because he describes all the mysteries of Christ and the church so clearly that you would not think that he's prophesying about what is to come, but rather composing a history of what has already happened. These are the words of Isaiah. And as we get ready to just explore the mystery of Christ, to understand who Jesus is, what the implications of him coming into the world are, 
for Christmas, we read these words from Isaiah. We'll start in Isaiah, actually, chapter 8, verse 21. And he's speaking into a, a, very, um, a very violent and dark time in his people's history. He says, uh, verse 21, chapter 8, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, will curse their king and their God. So, Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, then they will look toward the earth and see... Only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will thrust, they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And in verse 6, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. It's the words of Isaiah some 600 years before the time of Christ. And as he starts to anticipate this future hope that God's going to intervene in this world, that there's a Savior that's coming, he starts to describe him with a couple different titles. He talks about light coming into darkness, hope coming into despair. He calls the Savior a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. Four titles describing who the Savior is going to be. For the next four weeks, I kind of want to explore what these titles mean for us. And today I want to look at this idea of the wonderful counselor, the wonderful counselor, that Christ is a wonderful counselor. Counselor, this word has been sometimes joined with wonderful, as if designed to, uh, to qualify it, thus wonderful counselor, but it expresses a distinct attribute or quality. The name counselor denotes one of honorable rank, one who is suited to stand near and direct the human race. The Septuagint translate the phrase, the angel of the mighty counsel, the God of wonderful counsel. So we consider Jesus, he's this wonderful counselor. That's good news for me because the holiday season reminds me that I need counseling. Maybe you feel the same way. Uh, going through uh, start of, of, of Thanksgiving, uh, we enter into a time of, of stress, of a little bit of chaos, of uh, uh, loving to see relatives who come in town but also messes up with our routine. Uh, we kind of slip into some traditional family roles. Some of us go into people-pleasing. Um, but it, there's this kind of reminder that there's this kind of stressful, chaotic time. And uh, it, it also is a time of a reminder of loss as we gather for the holidays. We're reminded of uh, those who aren't there. Um, it's also a time of longing. It's a reminder of the things that we hoped had happened throughout the year. We had hoped uh, that we had seen. There's a time of loss and longing 
and around the holiday season. Uh, my favorite movie for the holiday season is Christmas Vacation. <laughs> and it enters into my sermons way more than it probably ever should. Um, but, but we watch Christmas Vacation and we're reminded of kind of the chaos of the holiday season. Like we, we watch that family and I think it, it, it kind of like the humor of it disarms the tension of our own situation. We look at that family and we're reminded that uh, all of us just kind of live in brokenness and chaos and we have crazy uncles and, and uh, I might be the crazy uncle. Like, they're, they're, you know, we, we watch that and it kind of disarms uh, disarms the tension. Uh, but I think something else is happening during the holiday season as we consider all of these things that are all of a sudden kind of, kind of come to the surface. It might be a picture of our reality. It might be a picture of really what's happening throughout the year that all of a sudden we have to face it when we come together with our family. This reality that uh, we live in dysfunction, that we have brokenness, that we have experienced loss, that we have longings, that we have uh, relationships that haven't gone right. Maybe it's uh, a, a season that kind of puts everything right in front of us to say, this is kind of our reality. And so as we consider the holiday season, we're reminded of not only the good, but also the bad in our lives. And there's this need, this desire for a deeper counsel. And it's all of us. All of us have this, this need and this desire for deeper counsel. And Isaiah's anticipation of this Savior, one of the titles that he uses is that the Savior would be a wonderful counselor. Why do we need a counselor? Um, I joke that I, I do need a counselor, and I, I have a counselor that I'll see every, every now and then. Um, but we need, we need counsel because we need someone that we can trust. We need someone that we can place our trust in, that we can confide in. We need someone with a perspective that is beyond our own. Uh, we need someone that uh, can speak objectively into our circumstances. We need someone who provides guidance and wisdom uh, for life. Uh, someone who uh, possibly mentors us, who's experienced things that we've yet to experience someone that can speak that wisdom into us. And we need someone who can speak life into our darkness. I found these things have been extremely helpful in my life to kind of process my own dysfunction and brokenness, to go to someone who I can trust, I can confide in, who's removed from my situation, that can speak into my life. And here we have this phrase describing Jesus, his activity in this world, one as a wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor. We get a glimpse of, uh, of Jesus in action in counseling in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is kind of this, the famous story of, of the woman at the well. And I want to just kind of read through this story and, and consider how Jesus counsels uh, this woman. And if you want to turn to John chapter 4, you can. If not, if you just want to listen, listen in. John 4, uh, 4, Jesus is actually, he's traveling and it says, now he had to go to, uh, through Samaria um, so that'd be like us Phoenicians um, traveling to Tucson for a football game or something, right? <laughs> Can't go down to Tucson. Despise those wildcats. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. 
<laughs> we have some U of A people here. Okay, maybe not, not as intense uh, as, as Samaria, but. Um, okay, so now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had been given, uh, given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So Jesus is traveling, and he stops at this well to rest. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So for all joking aside, uh, this is a pretty intense moment because the Jews and Samaritans despised each other. Some of the stuff that has been said of, of what they thought of each other is quite alarming. Like we have prejudice, we have, right, these people just flat out despised each other, wouldn't come into contact with each other. And here Jesus is with this Samaritan woman having this encounter. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with from the deep well. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who came uh, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, well, go and call your husband and come back. And here we have this moment. She says, I have no husband. And he replied to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have, just, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his, spirit, his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And then verse 28 says, In leaving her jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. And then it goes on to say that many Samaritans from that town believed. So this long story that some of you are familiar with, some of you might be hearing it for the first time, there's this interaction, this dialogue between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. What we find is that this Samaritan woman uh, lives a life of questionable character. And Jesus knows it. And he meets with her and he connects with her. And we know that at the end, she says to her friends, come and see this man who told me everything about myself. He knew everything about me. And she's like, joyfully explaining it, which you wouldn't expect someone who has questionable character who's just been kind of confronted on it. So there's something happening here 
as she meets Jesus, as she has this encounter with him that's life-giving for her. This is a moment where Jesus, this wonderful counselor, is on display. What I would say is that when we see Jesus, what we find is that he knows everything about us, and he loves us just the same. Jesus knows everything about the Samaritan woman, and he loves her just the same. He's this person, this counselor that we can put our trust in. I think this is a big deal. Um, We've had a lot of uh, young couples uh, get married or are about to get married. Uh, The Skibos just got married. They're here. Uh, Curtis and Marissa just got engaged. We can celebrate that. It's fun. Josh and Kate are about to get married in like two days or something like that. I think I'm doing the wedding. I should probably know. Uh, but when, uh, with Josh and Kate, we've been, Marcy and I have been kind of meeting with them and doing marriage counseling. And, and one of the things that I'm reminded of as we talk about like marriage counseling is this idea that when you get married, um, I think the, the big question you have to come to is, can I know everything about this person and still love them? There's this commitment that comes until death do you part. Um, and, and marriage is like the ultimate reality check. You live with this person, you know every single thing about them, and you have to choose to still love them. Can you know them and still love them? I think that's a question that all of us face when we decide to love anybody. Can I know everything about this person and still choose to love them? When Marcy and I had first got married, um, we got married really young. I was 21. Don't recommend it, but it was awesome. Uh, I, I was still in school. I was a junior in college and just finishing. And I had found out that I could finish college early, um, a semester early. So I was kind of doing classes. Uh, this is before online. I was doing classes from like a distance. And I found out that I thought I was graduating, but I needed one more math class. And so I was like, oh, I get all the way to the end and realize I have to take this class. So I took it at a community college. And like, I love like history and theology, not math. I am terrible at math. And I ended up going to this class, Marcy knew what I was taking it, and I ended up not passing it, which is like super embarrassing. And we had just gotten married, and I didn't like, I was like, I was supposed to graduate, and I even like got my diploma and walked, and they said, you just have to finish this class. And I was like, I couldn't finish it. Like, my mind stopped working mathematically when like letters started entering the equation, right? Like, like algebra two or something like that. Um, and so like I was afraid to tell Marcy because I was like completely ashamed that I didn't finish the class. And it was one of those things where it was like I know like it's like embarrassing. And I was like, here's what I'll do. I'm I'm gonna retake the class real quickly, and I just won't tell her about it. And I'll do it like on my own time, and then I'll finish it, and then she won't have to worry about it. And so like, I like, you know, paid for the class, and I, I, I started doing it on my own, and I was like, I'm just gonna, and like, like, eventually somehow she caught me. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. And I had to explain to her that like, it's like going to my parents, like I failed the class, I had to retake it. Um, but I remember thinking like, it was like this thing that I didn't want her to, I was like ashamed of it. And it wasn't even like I, I didn't think she would love me anymore. Cause, but I thought like she would think less of me because of my performance in the class. And it was this thing that I wanted to hide because I was ashamed of it. Now like everyone teases me about it because it took me way longer to finish college than it should have. And I did finish, by the way. I'm in grad school. So. Um, but I, but I, I was faced with this. I, I think there's this like primal instinct that all of us have. There's things in our life that we're ashamed of. 
There's things in our life that we don't want others to know about. There's things that we hide. Sometimes they're like little subtle things, and sometimes they're like really deep, dark things. And I remember that experience I felt with like being a newlywed, not wanting her to know about this because it was embarrassing. And I think all of us deal with that on some level. And Jesus, Jesus being a wonderful counselor, knows all of the things about us and decides to still love us. We see this here with this Samaritan woman, this wonderful counselor. Jesus meets with her, tells her everything about her life. She experiences this transformation. There's trust in the presence of Jesus. As Jesus enters into the world, it's one thing that we see as he comes as this little baby is to reveal the heart of a God who loves us so much. He meets us in whatever we're going through. As the early church tried to understand what that meant, they talked about the character of Christ, and they said, in fact, God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, broken, dysfunctional, messed up, Christ loved us so much that he died for us. That is the extent of his love. That is the wonderful counselor. So he knows and he loves us just the same. Second thing is that he has a front row seat of our lives. This wonderful counselor has a front row seat. He can see everything. Uh, this week I was meeting um, with, uh, with Jason Bauer and his son Cole. We went to In-N-Out, awesome burger um, that we got. And Cole, Cole's a student at Scottsdale Christian, and so he was actually interviewing me for a class. And uh, we were kind of going through this interview, and I talked to a pastor about different things, and then he asked, he asked me, uh, if you could tell me one thing about life, what would it be? And, and I remember thinking like, well, that, I mean, that could be so many different things. Like, where do I even go with this? And like, what if I don't say something that's super powerful? But as I was thinking, um, it, it reminded me of, of like the thing that I think has helped me throughout life um, is this idea that there, there's an eternal perspective on what's happening in every situation that we need to be aware of and in tune with. This Jesus who has this front row seat of our life means that God is with us. Christmas season, we say Emmanuel, God is with us. He's with us through everything that we go through. And that means that every single thing that we go through, this, this sovereign, loving God is with us. And, and talking to Cole, it's like, if I could be reminded of that, if I can know that, that no matter what I go through in this life, there's something bigger, there's an eternal picture where we have this God uh, who's with us. Um, it changes how we travel through life. There's a peace that comes in the turmoil. There's light that comes in the darkness. There's resurrection when there's death. But Jesus has a front row seat. He's with us in the midst of whatever we're going through. And we see that as this wonderful counselor meets with the Samaritan woman. He's with her. He's for her. And the third thing is that his ways lead to wholeness in our lives. His ways lead to wholeness. For this Samaritan woman, she's restored and redeemed. This lifestyle that she's living, she experiences transformation. This reminder that this wonderful counselor loves us exactly as we are, and he meets us exactly as we are. But he loves us too much to just leave us this way. He invites us into a life of wholeness. To become a Christian, to become 
a follower of Jesus is to start living as a citizen of heaven here and now. We believe that hope is better than despair. We believe that light is better than darkness. We believe that forgiveness is better than bitterness. Jesus invites us to a life of wholeness because he loves us so much. He says, you've been created in the image of God to be a certain kind of person here on earth. And the story has gone sideways, but I'm here to restore that in you, to call you to this life of wholeness, this image bearer of God here on earth that has eternal implications. Jesus invites us to a life of wholeness. And the fourth thing that we find is that he is the light in the darkness of our world. This wonderful counselor is the light in the darkness of our world, which he invites us into mission. As we start to follow him, as we confide in this wonderful counselor, uh, we start to become people of light in the darkness. We join God in bringing light to the world. This wonderful counselor gives us comfort, he gives us confidence, he gives us wholeness, and he gives us mission. And what Jesus does for the Samaritan woman, he does for us as well. Tim Keller, in his new book, The Hidden Christmas, this is the surprising truth behind the birth of Christ, he says this, Isaiah calls him the wonderful counselor, which means he's beautiful. And perhaps now we get a glimpse of why he is. He had the infinite highness of being the mighty God, and yet he became one of us, enmeshed in our condition, in order to know our darkness. He saved us by going to the cross, and he did it all voluntarily, freely, out of sheer love. And that is beautiful. When we find something to be beautiful, not just a duty, we dwell on it and stand before it, because it is satisfying in itself. We dwell on it, and stand before it because it is satisfying in itself. And so the reason we should obey him, not simply because we have to, but because we want to, is that in light of all he is and has done for us, he is wonderful. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. As we close our time today, the bank comes back up. One of the things that we do each week here it's after we spend some time in worship, after we spend some time connecting, after we spend some time hearing a word from Scripture. We spend some time with the sacrament, with the Eucharist, with communion. The communion for us uh, is a symbolic act to remind us of what God has done in this world. So in a few moments, we invite you to the communion table to take the bread, which represents the incarnation, represents God becoming man, the form of a baby, but living here, walking among us. And that same body, broken on the cross because of his love for us. The juice represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. And we believe that the breaking of his body that was here and the pouring out of his bloodshed on the cross restores our brokenness. It takes the, the consequences of our brokenness and sin. It absorbs it, and it invites us to a life of wholeness and healing. As we go to the communion today, as we go to the table, a couple things to consider, a couple questions to reflect on. This wonderful counselor, in your life right now, how do you need to experience the wonderful counselor? 
What are you most stressed about and anxious? The things that are heavy on your heart that are weighing you down. And today you need the guidance, peace, and wisdom of Christ. What are you struggling with or ashamed of? Maybe that it's something that you're hiding and it needs to be brought out to Christ, brought to the open. You need to come to the wonderful counselor and present it because you can trust him. What are the things that you're hiding? What are you wrestling with or confused about that you need divine wisdom? Maybe it's something that you've been, um, a decision you've been trying to make. But today we're invited to come to the presence of the wonderful counselor with all the things that we carry in this room. So Tim, comes, as he comes up and closes us, let's consider these questions. And when you're ready, we invite you to move to communion. And we'll close in a time of prayer. But let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for, for loving us while we were still sinners, loving us while we were broken, for seeing the things that we're so ashamed of and saying, I love you anyway so much that I've come for you, that I'll die for you, that I'll conquer death for you. Today, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, we want to connect with this character of, of you, that you're a wonderful counselor, so meet us here today, Lord. Invade our hearts with your love and your peace and your wholeness. Reveal and expose the things that need to be exposed. Bring hope and healing to the things that are in despair. Bring light to the darkness, the dark places of our soul. We give you this time. In your sons and we pray.